Hey, well, we're pleased to once again be joined by our buddy Trey Wallace. Of course, you know him. Been covering the SEC beat for a long time. Now he's a senior SEC reporter for OutKick. And you can give him a follow at Trey Wallace underscore. Trey, thank you so much for, for joining us once again. Michael, always great to join you, man. Lots of, lots of stuff to talk about as we get <laughs> uh, we itch closer to, to Vanderbilt and Hawaii. So I'm excited. Yeah, and as long as I've been following your work, Trey, it doesn't matter if we can go all the way back to the, I think the first time I heard your name was the the Florida credit card scandal. I mean, you are breaking news left and right, and the latest comes with this uh, Brew McCoy situation with Southern Cal and Tennessee, and sh- share some of your reporting you did there recently for OutKick. Yeah, so it was, um, so going back to it, you know, Brew McCoy has been Working with Tennessee all, all summer long, uh, you know, Tennessee was under the impression that that he would be eligible uh, to play, that they would make that happen. That they, that, you know, we know how these transfers get, um, and we know how schools like to deal with them, NCAA. So Tennessee was kind of under the impression the whole time that maybe they didn't have to file anything with the NCAA, that, that USC would – sign off on a no opportunity form, pretty much meaning signing off to let a player go to another school, maybe weren't any problems or anything academically or whatnot. You know, and, and, and there's a couple of things. I put out an article Monday morning, and you can actually go take a look at the link, and you can see what that form looks like. Um, so, you know, we, we fast forward to now. Tennessee is told – during the month of July, hey, look, we'll, we'll sign this thing. You know, we'll, we'll make him eligible. Uh, USC even released that statement where they say, well, we have no problems with them being immediately eligible. And it's like, well, okay. Talking with some compliance people around the Southeastern Conference that would be in the know, and then according to a couple other sources, that they've been kind of, they, were, they were kind of dragging their feet with this thing. Like, I, I think their, their game plan – all along, and I can't speak for USC, was that they would hope the NCAA would get involved where they didn't have to make that decision. They didn't have to sign off on that. Now, mind you, Tennessee, Brew McCoy, whatnot, they they were told, they thought that, okay, this thing is going to get signed off on. So that's why you didn't really see any worry out of Tennessee. That's why you, you know, beginning of fall camp, you know, Josh I was like, okay, this thing will get done, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, finally I was like, you know, you know we, we report on stuff all the time, Michael, and, and sometimes it just kind of clicks and you think of something. Finally, like 1.30 Saturday morning, and I was up, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to send an email to, to everybody at USC. And you know, I already had a story ready to go for Saturday, but let's see what let's see what they say because I, I'm very interested in, in how they're thinking from a university level about this. So we get the statement Saturday morning. Um, we run the story. You know, we we understand that we've been told by a bunch of people that you know there's a form out there that Mike Bone, the 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 USC AD, would sign. The administration would sign. He'd be immediately eligible. Um, and then speaking with some folks out on the West Coast about this, you know, they were they were held in. They were going to make that happen. And, and, and so we're finally getting to a point where 
all I call it all hell's breaking loose because I've never seen and I and you've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this a long time. I have never seen an athletic department or a university release a statement in the day and age of social media or even before social media, but release a statement about a player that was not on their roster, not in their school, hasn't been on that campus since last December. And they released a statement Sunday night, like 8, 28, 8, 30. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is this? And then I look at it. I was like, okay, well, that's the same statement they gave me Saturday morning. So like, you know, you know it's not changing anything. So, you know, we, I, I wrote an article that came out Monday morning that, um, that pretty much details everything that goes into this and, and where USC might stand and where Tennessee's at at this point, Michael. And it's, it's just crazy, man, because, you know, the biggest part of this is that we should not have to be, and I don't care who it is, I don't care what player, what school, what conference, should not have to be dealing with eligibility issues that go up to the last minute, that go up to, to, to you know, we're – we are five days away from pretty much first game of the season. And then, you know, you're you're nine days away from Tennessee taking the field and everybody else taking the field. We shouldn't be dealing with this, man. Yeah, do you see it as hypocritical at all? I mean, my God, they've, they've basically built their current roster on the back of getting all these transfers in, yet, you know, letting a guy transfer out. I mean, it, this has got to hurt the per- perception of uh, Southern Cal, I would have to think. I don't think it – I don't. I don't think it helps them. I I look at in the coaching community and whatnot. Um, you know, you you look at their roster, and they got a lot of Oklahoma on that roster, um, and they've got other players from across the country. You know, on, on that same roster, the guy from Pitt, in. right? Jordan Addison uh, mm-hmm. transferred in, and, and he was a one time. Here's the thing that that, that people are kind of held up on and when it comes to the NCAA. Brew McCoy, we all know, signed with USC, then decided after Cliff Kingsbury took the Arizona Cardinals job, well, okay, well, I don't want to be here anymore. Let me go to Texas. Okay, so he goes to Texas and goes through spring practice. Then the kid, by his words, he gets homesick. You know, he's, he's you know, gets out there and, you know, you're in Austin, Texas. You're a long way away from home. And um, and he decided he wanted to go back. You know, I, you know, I've seen so many different stories of where, like, let, let's take, for instance, like that Derek, Derek, uh, Jared Dodge kid, the, the quarterback, who first played at Bowling Green, then transferred to West Virginia then transferred to Western Kentucky this past spring, participated with them, and then transferred a week ago to Troy and is now probably going to be the starting quarterback in the season opener against Ole Miss. So what I'm getting is if if we're sitting here and we're having to deal with this and a player like Boo McCoy or any player is having to deal with then how in the world can a quarterback transfer to – four different schools and then be eligible to play immediately this season. Like it just feels like the rules change for others. And, you know, I'll, I'll add on to it. There are 
clauses in this no participation form that USC has 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 kind of held back on, meaning their outside counsel. I said, I don't know if that'd be a good idea to sign that or not. Because if you sign it, you're opening yourself up to litigation. You're opening yourself up to saying, okay, so Brew McCoy was in good standing, so he wasn't suspended. But I've spoken with many head coaches this weekend who have reached out and people in compliance offices that have reached out. And I'm talking colleges all across the country who said the reason why we do not worry about those forms and we sign them is because we don't want the bad publicity that comes with it if we hold somebody up. It's just not worth it. So they'll sign them. You know, and even somebody uh, at an SEC school told me that, man, look, we, we, had, we had kids transferring out left and right, but we signed them. We signed the papers. We weren't going to hold them back. There's no sense in it. It's only going to hurt us, you know, if we hold them up. And then we got to go through, you know, NCAA stuff and all that. So, Mike, I, I think we're at a point right now where USC has said, okay, we're going to let the NCAA deal with it. And, by the way, USC, you know, I'm not meaning to crap on USC, but USC, I've been told, has not been as helpful as their statement made it out to be when it comes to paperwork, when it comes to transcripts, when it comes to getting questions answered about this. And then you add on to the fact that, you know, according to some people that, that Brew was told he'd, he'd be signed, he'd be signed and he'd be able to play. So now we're sitting here at a spot where, and I wrote this this morning, I said, you know, I said the NCAA, I mean, I'm sorry, USC, now that the NCAA is involved, is going to come out smelling like roses whenever Brew McCoy is, finally made eligible because they can be like, well, look what we did. We helped out. The kid's eligible now. We're good. Everything go away. And it just, it didn't have to be like that, Michael. It, it, it could have been signed, could have been over with. I, I understand why USC is a little hesitant on that, but we've seen this all across the country and this is no different. So based on what you know, based on what you understand, uh, you know, maybe you don't want to call this a prediction, but do you anticipate Brew McCoy being eligible for the season opener? And maybe even more importantly, that's week two game at Pitt. What, what are your thoughts on that? I would be very surprised if Brew McCoy is not eligible by next Monday. I'd be very, very surprised if he is not eligible that they get this thing handled within the next seven days. Um, if they do go past that, you're going to see the Tennessee administration come out. And, and, and mind you, Tennessee has never used or called out USC by name during this. Josh Heupel's never gone up and said, well, you know what? We've done everything we can, but darn USC is really holding this thing up. Never said that before. He's had opportunities to. USC comes out, they name Tennessee, and they say, you know, we're not holding up, and I'm paraphrasing, but we're not hindering his immediate eligibility at Tennessee or whatnot. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, USC getting blown up by my by, by, by Tennessee fans, by media members um, asking the question, and that's why it surprised me that last night at 
8.28 Eastern time, they would do a Sunday news dump and release a statement publicly on Twitter because now you can't hide behind a media member like me who you gave a statement to. Now you put it out publicly. So the fact that they did put it out publicly, I think it, it tells me that they feel like the NCAA is going to take care of this thing. And now, you know, they can publicly be like, well, we were good. We did everything we were supposed to. But really, to be honest with you, USC could have been a lot more helpful over the last three to four months. You have any idea, Trey, what in the heck is going on there uh, on Rocky Top with Lynn J. Dixon? I mean, he was on the roster for, what, three weeks, and now he's not on the team. And, you know, I, I was kind of cautioning people, maybe, you know, don't put too much stock into what this kid could bring. But at the same time, I mean, Tennessee's got four scholarship running backs now. Two of them are true freshmen. Have no idea if these kids, while they're they're getting some good buzz, have no idea – you know, if they fully grasp what it takes to be a running back in college with the blocking and everything, uh, how big of a, a deal is this potentially for the balls? I'll use it in WWE terms. Tennessee didn't put it out there, but they wish Lynn J. Dixon the best in his future endeavors. <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 he had a little ankle sprain too, and, and you know, we know how it is in the Southeastern Conference around college football. Man, and it's hard for a player to come in, you know, a week and a half into fall camp, brother, and try to act like he, you know, think he's going to get playing time. Because Tennessee is, yeah, they have four scholarship running backs, but those four scholarship running backs are going to play this year. Uh, Dylan Sampson's going to play. Justin Williams is going to play. And we already know Jabari Small and Jalen Wright are. So, honestly, and I don't mean this any slight towards Lynn J. Dixon. I hope he finds a home, and I hope he rushes for a 1,000 yards and does great. But, honestly, it's not that big a deal because this kid was a fourth or fifth straight running back. Mm. I think that, you know, I think the biggest story about it is um, is that he was only on campus for a certain amount of time. And, that, and, and I don't mean that as a slight. But the reason why he was a fourth district pitching running back right now is, be is because he came in halfway through fall camp. You know, th th this would be a lot different if it, if it was like Zach Evans from Ole Miss coming in and you knew automatically this kid was going to be a star. Completely different situation. So, well, hey, hope for the best for him. But Tennessee, you know, Tennessee's okay is the best way to put it. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Zach Evans because that's what I, you know, jumping down to Ole Miss, I wanted to ask you, you did a great piece on Lane Kiffin recently on um, on his faith and his diet. And I did, I had no idea, Trey, he's, he says he's not had alcohol in 17 months and you can see it. I mean, he looks like a new lean Lane Kiffin. What can you tell us about uh, that story you did on on the head coach here at Ole Miss? You know, it was, it was interesting. You know, I've known Lane for a while and, you know, I, I he had said something – to kind of give you a little quick backstory. He had said something during his press conference that last Monday about a movie he watched with his daughter. And I just texted him. I was being funny. I said, bro, I was like, what movie, Nicholas Sparks movie, were you watching with your daughter and her friends? And he got back to me and he told me the movie. And I was like, okay, well, I've seen that. And then we got to texting a little bit and talking. And all of a sudden we started talking about life. And I asked him, I was like, man, something's changed in you. And, and I've noticed it. Um, well, what do you attribute that to? 
And he was talking about faith and he was talking about, you know, uh, waking up every morning with a routine. You know, he, he wasn't a morning person, um, but finding that balance in life, being able to go do a hot yoga or a hot works class at 6 a.m. in the morning and then be there at the facility and, you know, Bible studies that he does with his staff. And, you know, one of the things that stood out, I didn't put that in the article because I couldn't corroborate it with Matt Corral, but I've been told that this is the case. And Lane told me about this and it doesn't matter that I, I put that out, this out there. Um, it wasn't barred or anything, but uh, Matt Corral actually, you know, had a quote dry season with Lane Kiffin um, during the year. And, uh, and now look, does that mean that Matt Corral or Lane Kiffin, didn't go out and have one, you know, IPA or something like that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that, you know, I think he he set a tone of what he was trying to do. And he pointed it out to me. He was like, man, look, if, if I'm doing this and I'm proving this and I'm showing, well, I'm not eating red meat, not eating any bread, no alcohol. I'm here at the facility early in the morning. And what that does is it inspires the players you know, to try to do things like that and try to be like that. And I, I, I just think he's a different person. And a lot of people, I understand, a lot of people are going to be like, eh, okay, I don't know about that. Like, you know, is he just saying that? You know, is it just, you know, some kind of tactic? I, I believe the guy. And and you can see it. it. It's not just talk. You can see it in the guy that, that physically – and and mentally, he's changed himself. I mean, look at what he looked like two years ago compared to what he looks like now. Um, look at the way that he talks now during a press conference and breaking things. He's calm. He's chill. Now, that doesn't change in the 60 minutes during the game. He's still going to be Lane Kiffin. Uh, he's still going to be Lane Kiffin during practices. But I think he's starting to find that balance in his life. And I think that big thing had to do with his daughter moving to Oxford, Mississippi. And he kept telling me, you know, it was funny. He said, man, I'm a, I'm a single parent. You know, I'm, I'm raising a child here. And, and for a minute, that, I was like, huh, Lane Kiffin, single parent, raising a kid. Damn, this, this guy's grown up. You like It's different. And I, I think that was the, the, the crux of the story, how much he's changed his life. And, um, you know, uh, I think that pays off down the road, you know, whether that be at Ole Miss. You know, told me his daughter is is applied to Ole Miss. Um, I'd like to go there. I think that kind of speaks a little bit of volume uh, about maybe what his future might be. And um, he's doing a good job of building something at, at, at Ole Miss. Um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe this is a guy that sticks around for five, six more years. I, I don't know. You never know with the jobs opening up and what the conference is going to look like and whatnot. But I just feel like Lane Kiffin is comfortable now at Oxford and he is willing to show it because he feels comfortable enough now. Yeah, and I, I really thought what was interesting about that, Trey, was the fact that, you know, you, this is all the stuff we don't see of these coaches. Yet, you know, it seems like he's in, in, you know, got his life in order in that aspect. And it is clearly paying off for the football program. Just won 10 games. I know they had a heck of a quarterback, but you cannot tell me that Lane Kiffin, this is the best coaching he's ever done. And he's had some, you know, some good coaching in his life. So, 
having said all that, what do you make of this? Because he's going to have to coach his ass off again with with losing three coordinators and losing a lot of pieces, but bringing pieces in, he's got to coach these guys up in a hurry. It's going to be very interesting to me to watch Ole Miss this year because I have a hard time believing that this squad can duplicate what last year did, meaning Sugar Bowl, you know, 10 wins. You know, they got a quarterback situation with with Altmaier and, and Dart down there. You know, I'm interested to see what that looks like. I can see them both playing, like, in the first game against Troy. Um, you know, but but then I, I, I take a look at things, and I, I think that Ole Miss has pieces on offense to be explosive again. I think it's going to look like one of those teams where they're going to try to put up 40 points per game and beat you that way. Defense, I mean, running back-wise, they lost a lot, but they also brought in. You know, some talent. I mean, Zach Evans leading the way, in my opinion. Defense, you lost know, some key players on defense. But I, I feel like they did a good job handling the portal. I feel like that they have talent that was maybe second string last year that can fill some gaps along the defensive line. Linebacker is going to be key for me with them. So I, I look at Ole Miss as a whole. And yes, I, I do think it's going to be difficult to do that. But I think that. They can get close to it. I think this is an eight to nine win team, and they could knock off somebody like they did last year and somehow get close to that nine, 10 win mark. Um, but I think it, it's all going to depend on, like, I, I, you know, I feel like Arkansas is going to give the biggest challenge in the West this year. Um, besides A&M, you know, and, and I want to see what A&M does, you know, with their quarterbacks and how they play at the wide receiver position before I go all in on A&M because I feel like they were prematurely ranked. I don't feel like they should have been in that spot. But I think when you look at Ole Miss, I think they're kind of right where we, we thought they would be. And they've got some very key games in the first month of the season that I think we're going to see, okay, maybe this squad has something for 2022. Who do you think is going to be better, though, Ole Miss or Mississippi State? Because I'm very high on Mississippi State. I, I think for the life of me, I can't understand why so many people are overlooking them right now. I love Will Rogers, and I love what he can do in this offense. I also like what they've done on defense. Um, there were times last year where you look at this squad and you're like, okay, this doesn't feel like a Mike Leach type of defensive unit um, or team in a sense. Um, look at turnovers last year. You know, I I, I look at Will Rogers and I think I, I know what they're going to do and they're going to try to score, you know, 35, 40 points a game and Leach is, is going to have Rogers throwing the ball 40 times and you'll see what comes out of it. But I feel like, that Mississippi State is 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 kind of a slept upon team in the state of Mississippi, to be honest with you. I, I I think that they're going to be the team this year that beats somebody they're not supposed to beat. They're going to be the team that does the same thing they did to AM last year. And and AM did have the best quarterback situation with Calzada, but they did beat Alabama. But then what happens? You know, Mississippi State comes to town. You know, and, and they knock off the, the, the Aggies in College Station. 
You know, so I feel like Mississippi State can be one of those teams this year that catches somebody by surprise. Um, and, and maybe that leads to eight wins this year, something along those lines. I just feel like they have talent on both sides of the ball that can help out. I don't think it's like SEC West winning talent, but they've got talent to, to beat some folks that maybe they don't think they can. Now, you talked about A&M and Arkansas. It's funny because I, I swear I got this written down. Who do you think is going to have a better season between those two? I love KJ Jefferson. I, I, I mean, I, I, I love KJ Jefferson. I love watching him play. Yeah. Um, yes, it, it's going to be hard, obviously, to replace Traylon Burks. I get that, but they've got enough playmakers at wide receiver to potentially make something happen. Uh, bring in uh, Hazelwood uh, from from Oklahoma. You know, maybe you're able to to, to get a downfield threat, to open things up. I like their defense, led by Bumper Poole uh, at linebacker. I think he's aggressive. I think that, you know, the, to me, the biggest win for Arkansas in the offseason was keeping Barry Odom around, you know, because of that defense, because it's going to help out what Kendall Browse is trying to do with the offense. You know, I, I just think when you have that stability on both sides of the ball and bringing back both your coordinators – and then you got a quarterback like KJ Jefferson, who, let's be honest, his game is only going to get better from last year, you know, and, and he's able to run the football, but he's also got a cannon for an arm. Like, this is a team that to me is going to be dangerous. I look at AM, Michael, and right now I don't know if I trust them or not. And here's the reason I have got to see something out of Haynes King if that's who they go with. If they don't, I we've seen what Max Johnson can do at times at LSU, what he did. So I, I think he could be a quarterback that could help out, you know, Texas A&M. But if Jimbo decides to go with Haynes, okay, let, let's see what this kid actually has. Because And the biggest thing about this too is Jimbo, this is like, this is the year where he better go out and prove something. And I'm not talking about just beating Alabama. You're in year five of your program. You've got to start proving that you belong in the Western division, can make a run towards Atlanta and start fighting. And the biggest thing to me is you better have both quarterbacks ready because we saw what happened last season. Once Haynes went out and gets Colorado, things kind of just went downhill. This is not – this should be a four-loss team in College Station. And I get the SEC's good. But, you know, we'll see what they look like against Miami that third week. That's a game they should win. The biggest game is going to come, you know, when they go play Arkansas and Arlington. Then mm -hmm. we're going to figure out, you know, the good thing about it is we're going to figure out which team between those two, Arkansas and A&M, can find out real quick within the first month, you know, which one's going to stand out and, and potentially have a good year. Because I just feel like A&M, even though they have the running backs, even though they've got downfield threats, um, I feel like they're, they're damn solid on the defensive line. I think maybe they can get a freshman or two to help them out there. But man, you got to prove it now, and, and and it's easy for us to be skeptical of Jimbo Fisher because he hasn't really done that yet in Collins Station. What do you think, Trey, of all this uh, back and forth between Beamer and Mark Stoops, uh, Kentucky? I mean, all of a sudden, this game is like must-see TV, and. I love the fact that Mark Stoops is – he's calling everybody damn out. Now, I know he's walked back his Beamer comments, but uh, we call bullshit on, on that one. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? I love it. I mean, bring more juice <laughs> uh, to the 
to the games. I mean, who, I mean, let's be honest. Three years ago, we'd have been sitting back and saying South Carolina, Kentucky, Juice, like that's going to be a game we're interested in. But I feel like, yeah, because South Carolina is intriguing to me because I want to see how Spencer Rattler does with this offense. And I know that's the obvious answer. But, you know, this is a South Carolina team that played technically five different quarterbacks last year if you had Joyner in the bowl game. So I think they're going to be stable enough at running back. I think they're going to have a few wide receivers that can help Spencer out down the field. I think on the defensive side of the ball is maybe where they take the next step. Um, And they could be a surprise team. And when I say surprise team, you know, eight wins, something like that, maybe. It all depends on what their quarterback's going to do because, you know, you're not dealing with Zeb Nolan or Jason Brown or, you know, I I think this is a a football team that has a little bit more stability this year. And I love the comments. I love Shane Beamer having fun. Shane Beamer is a genuine dude. Like, what you see out of Beamer, that's who he is. He's not putting on a show. And I think that's what I like about him the most um, as an SEC head coach. And you know what? Stoops is the same way, man. If Stoops doesn't like something, he's going to call you out. I mean, look at that mess with Calipari. Like, he wasn't afraid to, to, to stick up for his program. So I, I just feel like, you know, that's going to be a fun game because both of those t- – like, Kentucky – like, this is like the year for Kentucky. Like if it, I know they lost Wondell Robinson, and I get that completely. But if we're breaking it down, they can get Chris Rodriguez back. For, let's just say week three, week four. Which, by the way, if Kentucky can get past Florida week two without Chris Rodriguez, they're going to be fine in the month of September. They don't play anybody good besides Florida. So I, I think when you when you when we take a look at that and break it down, I think that the matchup between South Carolina and Kentucky, you know, that could be one of those pivotal games in the East when it comes to, you know, an eight win or a nine win season uh, for both of them. So, but fans in Lexington, man, they've got high expectations and they really don't care if their coach starts going off on Beamer. And you know what? Shane Beamer is going to clap right back. And it, you know what? It, it's more attention for the programs and it leads to an exciting season. All right, last thing for you, Trey. We were talking um, TJ Finley before we hopped on here. Thoughts on you know everything I'm hearing. He's he is the leader of that offense. They're they're gonna go with TJ Finley, who of course Auburn and LSU fans have, have seen some of them. They've seen enough of them, but that doesn't mean players don't progress. But you know Brian Harson has got to go with the right guy for that team, and only he can make that call. But I can just already see it playing out, Trey, where if T.J. Finley comes out here and struggles, particularly against Penn State or Missouri, and costs them a, a game, you know, I think all that negativity is going to get, you know, why the hell we bring in Zach Calzada if we ain't going to play him? And, and, and this is, – is he walking a fine line here with T.J. Finley potentially? He understands behind the scenes and quietly that he's got to do something this year at Auburn. And whichever quarterback is going to be the one that can be a playmaker and actually do something for his – remember, Calzada, you know, he missed a good amount of, of work, you know, recovering from surgery. Um, so, you know, and, and to be honest with you, that Calzada, I, I know he'll always have that Alabama game on his record, 
but he's an average quarterback, and that's not a knock. It just is what it is. Um, and maybe something happens, and he comes in fourth game of the year, and he starts blowing it up. Good for him. But for right now, you know, I, I've heard the same things about T.J. Finley. He's been taking the ones. There's been times where Zach Calzada has been taking the threes and working with the third team. Um, so, you know, this is a monumental year for Brian Harson if he is going to stay around and be a head coach in the Southeastern Conference. And six wins is not going to cut it. Eight wins? Okay, you're good. Eight wins, you're fine. You're building something. Come back another year. You've got a quarterback on your roster you can build around. But, man, you know, that six to seven wins, we could be dealing with another situation at Auburn, you know, or Mr. Yellowwood, Mr. Rain down there <laughs> wants to get involved again, <laughs> you know, and, and things go south. And, and you know, for I'll say this for Brian Harson, for him to still be the coach at Auburn, for him to deal with all that bullshit, excuse my language, that he went through, um, you know, I think it speaks volumes to how much he cares about his football team, but how much he also wasn't going to be embarrassed and have his name drugged through the mud. So they've got a good staff down there. I'm just very interested in how they make this quarterback decision. Um, and if and, and I think Finley's going to be the guy. Um, and if he is, we're going to find out real quick what this Auburn team is made of because the Penn State Nittany Lions are coming to town, you know, right there around week three. And um, anything can happen, but, you know, we're, we're going to see real quick if they made the right decision at quarterback. And the good thing about it is, is you know, they, they, they got a little bit of time when it comes to opponents to kind of figure out that quarterback situation. So, very interested to see which way Auburn goes here long-term. Maybe not just week one, but long-term at that position. All right, Trey Wallace, cannot thank you enough. Senior SEC reporter for OutKick. You got anything to plug or anything for the audience to be aware of that you got dropping this week, Trey? Yeah, no, just working on a couple couple things uh, that I think folks will be interested in. Um, we did get out uh, – uh, an article this uh, on Monday morning, just talking about the different things that are going on with Drew McCoy, and maybe some some things maybe fans are missing, but also some things that I think USC is missing. But we're plugging away. I'm, I'm getting ready for the season. We're going to start on Thursday night um, at, at Tennessee Ball State, just because I live six miles from campus, and then I'm going to get on down to Atlanta uh, for Georgia versus Oregon. Uh, on that Saturday, and then it's going to be Austin, Texas, the next weekend. So it's up. Oh, it's I couldn't get the Hawaii travel budget approved <laughs> to, go, to go cover Vanderbilt. But um, hey, but but other than that, man, college football is here. We're rolling into it, and uh, some big things are coming out, kick. And always appreciate you having me on. You're absolutely killing it. Love the show. Listen to every podcast, and uh, thanks for having me. Man. Anytime, my friend. Thank you so much. Be well.